0: Welcome to Photoactive, a podcast about photography and technology. I'm Kirk McElwain. And I'm Jeff Carlson. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode, at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. This week, we're very happy to welcome Rich Baum. Rich is a photographer and much more. Rich, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Um, we invited you to talk about real estate photography, but you have been in photography for a long time. You've worked in the movie industry. Give us the nickel tour of your life.
1: (laughs) Uh, The elevator tour. Okay.
0: Um, no, I'm, I'm originally
1: from Los Angeles and I'm third generation movie industry. I was a union prop master. And uh, I, I did feature films and television like uh, Fantasy Island, if you can remember back that far. But uh did about uh, over a 100 feature films, with, including Hoosiers, Naked Gun, Beaches, uh, all kinds of movies. And I love the business, but I got out of it after 30 years, and uh, I finally uh, got to go back to my passion, which is photography. I've been a photographer since 1968 when I was a little kid. And uh I started shooting everything uh because I needed to make money. It was it was a challenge, as anybody will know, that gives up their day job and wants to go back to uh wants to go into photography. Then I um I started shooting weddings, professional sports, high school, seniors, models. I did everything and I just got really good at being a, a photographer. But I started doing a lot of buildings and I would even go on vacation or we travel around the world a lot. I would uh, shoot hotel rooms. I get up at four in the morning to go to the lobby and shoot hotel rooms in Hawaii. <laughs> I mean, who the heck does that? Oh, you're that but guy, right? <laughs> I am that guy, man. I it, live, eat, drink. Um, I'm also a, a musician, but I gave up music almost because I was into photography. And I started shooting real estate, and I kind of got in with uh, a Luxury Home Magazine, which is based here in Sacramento. And, uh, I finally, uh, was able to make a living at it. And I, and now, um, I am still shooting, but I have really gone into education where I have a YouTube channel. I almost hitting 30,000 subscribers. I, um, am also coaching. I do workshops. Um, and I also, um, do a podcast with, um, my friend Brian Berkowitz from New York. So I'm in Northern California and he's in New York and doing kind of similar thing as you guys, but the educations for me is where it's at. And i am been very blessed to uh, have a great uh, group of people that are willing to listen to me and, and enjoy our
2: outlets. One of the reasons why we thought of you is because of your YouTube channel. I was aware of that. My nickel tour of this story is uh, a friend of mine who does all sorts of uh, photography. She said, "Oh, if you're going to do any real estate photography, you got to join these these two Facebook groups." And, you know, very quickly your name came up over and over and over as people who would be, you know, looking for advice and, "Oh, well you, you got go to go Rich's YouTube channel cuz he's basically covered everything." And this started because I had the opportunity to shoot uh, a friend's Airbnb property. And it's not something that I had ever really done but I'm a photographer. I know the basics of photography and it was really sort of a, a low stakes situation. It turned out to be more challenging than I thought, especially for the first time. I made a ton of mistakes, but this is totally something that anybody can do in the sense of if you wanted to try something new in your photography, you live in some sort of dwelling. You are around houses and buildings and all of that. So there's really no
0: big barrier to entry. Well, I must say there is one big barrier. You've got to clean up the house before you take the photos.
1: Not to practice, though. I teach people practice. Everybody has an 8 by 10 room with a window and a ceiling fan. Stick your tripod in the door and start practicing with your I shoot with flashes. Uh, but, you know, start practicing. And uh, it's all good, but... Uh, yeah, if you're gonna post it, uh, yeah, tick, close the uh, toilet seat. Okay,
2: <laughs> rule number one. <laughs> What's also crazy is that there seem to be, and especially if you've ever gone to rent or or buy a house, there are a lot of shots where people do not do that. And especially in these Facebook groups, there are just you know disasters of photographers who show up at a place and you know it hasn't been cleaned or there's there's groups called
1: really bad MLS photography. And it's <laughs> it shows everybody posts these embarrassing shots of naked people in mirrors taking
2: pictures of their room. <laughs> it's yes, I've something. seen that. Yeah. Since I've basically rambled on quite a bit here, can you tell us some of the basics of real estate photography, interior photography? Obviously, it's not just point a camera in the room because there are lots of things that I discovered when I was doing this from lighting. To verticals. Verticals is like this huge, huge deal that if you do not know about it and if you get it wrong, it's just like that big flashing red sign. So, what are some of the basics of this to do it well?
1: Well, your story is like a lot of, especially a lot of my coaching students, which tend to be a little bit older. I find that uh, people over 30 or 40 value education more than younger people um, just because uh, I think it's just not as. uh, You don't think about the education, but a lot of my coaching students are extremely tops in their field. I coached uh, uh, one of the top um, landscape photographers who did workshops around the world and he he got just like many other people. He went out and had an opportunity just like you and he goes, I'm, you know, how, how bad can it be? So we went and he then contacted me because he's that's the type of person that just realizes, oh, this is not good and uh, I'm going to ruin an opportunity. And it's much, much harder than people think. I mean, I've had people in other genres uh, just say it's a it's a freaking kitchen. I mean, come on. I'm like, you you go shoot that freaking kitchen. But um, it, it really is. There are a lot of rules. You know, photography has rules. And I'll talk about this more in terms of I'm not talking to a group of real estate photographers. I'm talking to wedding photographers and product photographers and model photographers. Um, But, you know, we all have a lot of the great uh, tools if we're all experienced photographers. We know about the rules, rule of thirds, composition, um, similar in in all uh, aspects of photography. Um, These these rules have been out for hundreds of years, um, you know, so you've got the rules. And the problem is in real estate photography or architectural or interiors, you don't know what you don't know. And one thing you don't know when you're going into it is the verticals. You know, those are the walls. If you're pointing your camera up, it is you get in keystoning or com- converging verticals. And you can actually just look at your camera, point it up and point it down and you'll see things change. So you've got to understand that. You've got to understand, um, you know, the good thing is a lot of people getting into it, is it doesn't take a super camera, in my opinion. Um, crop sensor, um, low-end cameras, uh, this is not stuff that's going on billboards or going on, um, although I used to shoot billboards with 12-megapixel cameras. But you don't need awesome focus. You don't need awesome ISO performance, because we rarely go over, I, I rarely go over, 500 ISO, sometimes 1600, but my camera can handle that. No problem. Um, Lighting is very different because people are used to, when you're shooting people, you're pointing your lights at the subject Um, or your diffuser or your bounce or whatever. Light is coming in horizontally. The problem with what we do is light uh, that is traveling and there's the uh, angle of incidence, which is like a pool ball hitting a corner coming off the bank at the same angle. Well, pointing your lights forward is going to cause shadows, so we do other things. We have different creative ideas on how to eliminate these problems. Also, we can't really walk around with um, uh, electric strobes, uh, you know, that plug in. Uh, you have to have battery operated because you just can't go through a house efficiently with cables. Um, you, you need lights, uh, in my opinion, but a lot of people start with HDR. I actually used to teach HDR and I did fine art and I use my air quotes, fine art. It, it kind of looked, uh, there's a, uh, there's a term called, uh, I hope this is okay to say it's a term called clown vomit or, uh, (laughs) Oh, it looks just like Kincaid. You know, that really equates to, it looks like garbage and the colors are, because very important also, verticals, and you got to get the right colors. And sometimes recreating colors, if you're using available light or ambient light, is subject to all of the things we know. Uh, color temperatures, which are uh, tungsten is warm, orange, you get those orange lights, and then you get the blue from the sunlight, and then you've got the mixed lighting. So you got to learn how to deal with all that. So we're dealing with Lightroom, we're dealing with Photoshop. And I think that it's it, a lot of people, I kind of feel like the whole business is getting saturated, uh, especially now with YouTube, I'm guilty of teaching people and everybody can have <laughs> access. And so many people are going, well, you know, the wedding, wedding industry is that's tougher to shoot weddings. And I will disagree sometimes because I shoot hundreds of weddings, but I find that a lot of people are really, uh, just uh, going, you know what, I'm going to check out real estate photography. There you go. So it's it's there. It's accessible. People like me can teach you for free. But uh, I think it's a lot more difficult than, than people think.
2: That was the case that I ran into. I don't think that I was uh, as immodest to think, well, I have a camera and I've shot photos for years, so this will be a snap. <laughs> I think a lot of people will come to it and say, okay – This seems like a very structured, regimented thing. You get a picture of every room. You get a picture of the outside of the house. You lock down your camera, and you point it in the right direction, and you use long exposures. Like, we don't have to worry about fast shutter speeds and and moving the camera. So that seems like it's sort of easy.
1: Well, Jeff, you've you've got a lot of good points. I mean, um, it it really appears to be simple, and it really isn't that hard. And and that's one thing I'm known as saying is if I can do it, you can do it. And I'm not doing, I'm not this magical photographer. I'm a good photographer. I could certainly be better. I teach people that I will never master any part of photography. Um, I know that and I don't expect it, but I still try every day. Real estate photography, similar. Uh, I think you're going to uh, go in with uh, not knowing. I you know you, you don't know what you don't know, so you're going to go in and you're going to do what you like. Hopefully you've done your research. You've looked at MLS shoots. You, you've joined a group. You, you have seen what, uh, oh, I like this or, oh, I don't like that. And the thing I think most people going into it, it's very similar to when you're learning to shoot models, people's weddings uh, at the beginning. We're all just shooting settings. We're shooting equipment. We're not shooting people at the beginning. We're not connecting with our subject. Once you do connect with your subject in like a wedding, I now go to a wedding. I've got it dialed. I've got hundreds of weddings. I've got it dialed. I just go, and luckily I shoot at the same venues very often. I know what's going to work, and it gets a little boring sometimes, but it's fine. Boring's fine sometimes, but I go now, and I connect with my subject, and shooting a house, shooting a room is similar. you got to remember you, there's many things you've got to – Really think of what are we selling? What are we doing? You've got to think of flow. You've got to think of what is this person on the uh, computer on the other end? What are they going to see? And what's going to let them go from most listings, they're lasting one or two seconds on an MLS listing. They go on to the next house and the next house. If we can have them stop for 30 seconds, we may actually have person that wants to come see your house. So it's all about the images. Now it's especially about the images. But what are we selling? What are we shooting? You know, I always say you don't have to show the whole couch because we know the other half is there. You don't have to show the toilet, but sometimes you got to show the toilet. But what are the value points of this house? Does it have a wonderful view? Then do you have to capture the view? The the view, exposing a view is very difficult. And it is, uh, you know, we're dealing with dynamic range inside and outside. So... There are all these things, but it's really once you start really understanding what you're doing and getting a handle, then you're actually doing things like dealing with composition. Uh, you know, most people going into it are not really thinking of composition. And once you start thinking of composition, rule of thirds, you're then going to start composing better images. So I've been looking through some of the
0: photos on your website. Um, you have some extraordinary examples of big homes that I could never afford. Um, when I've looked for rentals, most of the photos are taken by the real estate agents with iPhones. Um, so, you know, bad lighting, skewed verticals, etc. But as I look at these photos, You know, obviously these are houses in the seven figures, I'm assuming. It looks to me that what you're trying to do is capture the character of a house. Um, now I'm seeing a lot of isolated photos. I'm not seeing a whole series of individual houses. But what I notice is that these photos are aspirational that you're trying to create photos so that the person looking at them can feel what it would be like to be there. Is that correct? Uh, very, very good. Uh, yeah, you nailed it.
1: It's uh, really, it's several things, but one is we're trying to give a person with no vision, vision to say your house could look like this. Um, well, that's why a lot of empty houses we stage because when I say we, it's the realtor stage, is it? But so people can see that, yes, that could be, ooh, I love that. And, you know, and each house has its own values. Um, some houses are better than others. Of course, on my website, actually, most of the houses are probably, uh, under a million dollars where I live in Sacramento. So it might be completely different than where you are. So, um, and that's also true of, of different, uh, you know, what people, want to be looking at in different areas of the country. So what works for you in England may not work for me in California. Hmm. It's very different. But many things are similar. A lot of times you'll see listing photos that are silly wide, just cuckoo. And a lot of agents will say, oh, I want you to do shoot as wide as possible. I love an agent when they say, do you have a professional camera and a wide-angle lens? (laughs) I'm like, yes, I do. Thank you. That's okay. I never belittle belittle, uh, people. But I think it's really important to be appropriate. You don't want to go too wide. Sometimes some photographers only show two walls. Now, you might look at a room. Some rooms you can actually shoot four walls. So it depends. And I have extremely – I mean, I have a lens that's a 12 to 24 on a full frame. And, you know, uh, it's not terrible distortion, but it adds that stretching. I mean, there's certain um, things that we deal with, uh, perspective issues, and that's a big deal in this. It's not only verticals, it's perspectives.
0: But then you're adjusting the perspective in post, right? Because none of your photos look like that exaggerated wide angle real estate listing view.
1: Well, I don't shoot... Anything usually anything wider than 16 millimeters on a full frame, and I think that that's really wide too. And when I'm shooting designer or architectural or new homes, I'm, I'm usually not shooting much wider than 24 millimeters. But here's when you're in real estate, if you're thinking about getting into it, you got to have at least 16 to 35. You, you don't want it, you know, on a full frame. Uh, you, you know, anything in the 20, 24 is going to work sometimes, but it's not going to give you the the uh, leeway, um, the flexibility when you're coming into some situations. Uh, some situations I want to go wider. If I have a teeny backyard, I don't want to make it look different. Uh, the worst thing is, is a person looks at the listing, comes and sees it. And I call it at the aha moment. If an owner or an agent goes, is this going to look good? I said, well, come here a second. And I walk him and I sit, stand outside the door with them. I open the door. I say, take a foot in. And then I go. This is what you're going to get. They're either going to go, ah, yeah. or they're going to go, oh, and it's really true. And you've got to put yourself into um, the, the prospective buyer's shoes. And you've got to think, what are they going to see? What is going to make them compelled to come see, to take the time? I mean, we also do a lot of, I do 360 photography because that will give people the ability to walk through a house um, though it looks very different than in reality, but at least you, they can, yeah. especially with COVID right now, uh, a lot of people can't yeah. go out and see houses. So we're shooting three sixties. Uh, it's a whole nother ball game, but, uh, I think it's really important to, uh, what are we shooting here? What are we selling here? We're not looking at uh, owners of houses are too hung up on their furniture and their things they love that attach to their, their heart loves what they have. And they don't understand though. I'm not. Sh- I'm not selling the couch. I'm selling the wall behind the couch. So a lot of a lot of mentality like that.
0: So there's two points I notice in all of these photos. Again, we'll link to um, your website in the show notes and all of the photos that I'm seeing in the residential um, portfolio. Uh, in every photo, every single light is on and I assume that's just a standard technique because you want as much light as possible because there are always dark spots in houses the second is it looks like you've done a lot of set design in these photos
1: well let me let me address your first comment um, I what is on my website is Possibly most of these images are three years old, four years old. Um, I have been very guilty, as we all are, on updating our websites. I actually, <laughs> my Instagram is is much more um, updated. It is a little different looking than the MLS because it's more ge- geared towards design photography. But as far as putting lights on, some agents like lights on. Most do. Some people don't want the lights on. The lights actually have very little to do with my lighting that I need for my photography. It's giving me more ambient ambiance lighting. Yeah. It is uh, if you have a wonderful fixture, um, you know, you want to show the light on there. Now, a lot of people are in the camp where they don't want lights on and I'm I'm in the middle camp because sometimes I have lights on. Sometimes I have lights off. Um, and sometimes I want the lights. I have to shoot with the lights off and on because I'm then eliminating the color cast from these lights. Right. But it's very important. First of all, to get, I have a YouTube video that I recently did called clarification of expectations, how you, and this is, this is true in weddings and in, in any kind of photography, your client and you have to be on the same page. So does your client really want super wide wide? Or do they want more narrow? Does your client want lights on or lights off? One thing I've really uh, excelled at is I know how to talk to agents. I know how to talk to people. When they hear me talk, I come up with either a lot of truth or a lot of BS, but I come up with stuff. (laughs) And sometimes the BS is there to make my life easier. And that comes from the movie industry. But I find that people usually let me do what I want because I've clarified with them. And I go, you know what? Do you want me to do this or do you want me to just do what I do? And Most people just let me do what I do. But as far as lights off, you know, you look at Architectural Digest and and that is 90, probably 90 to 100% lights off. So it's really a look. Um I believe that sometimes even i'll I'll just mask in a little bit of light so it gives you the warmth uh, that the light fixture will will have, but there is no rule that you have to do either, and some people might say so if they say that don't don't believe them and as far as my experience in the movie industry, it is Important to arrange furniture. When I was doing props on movies, part of my job as an on set prop master or a set decorator or designer or a set dresser is to work with the camera operator and moving furniture a little bit here, a little bit there to compose a balanced image. And I'm guilty of moving a lot of things, and I'm not saying you should go out and shoot a house and move something. Now, you should also have. $2 million of liability insurance. Um, So, But those are things that you you have to think about. And those are things that come after a while of doing it. After your first 50 or 100 houses, uh, you start shooting differently. And after your 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 houses, I shoot uh, 500 houses a year. So, you know, you get more experience. So
2: So that's actually a great point that I wanted to bring up because, um, again, going back to my, my one experience, I probably spent, you know, five or six hours shooting this tiny little spot, right? And <laughs> we're just on audio here, but Rich is laughing because uh, I, I'm sure that you've been there. But like I said, there was a whole lot of, of, of problem solving. But the reality is, if you're going to do this as a business, there's no way you can take that amount of time. And I was surprised to read from other photographers again on these, on these Facebook groups. They will maybe spend an hour, two hours at a location. Maybe they'll do five houses in a day or something. And there's just that business aspect of, you know, if you're going to do this, you need volume. You need to be working all the time. Whereas I think for a lot of our listeners who are just maybe casual photographers, you're like, I'm going to go and I'm going to spend three hours in nature and I'm just going to kind of point my camera at whatever looks really good. With real estate photography, there's discipline and there is marketing and all of those things that I think most photographers don't really think about because we're like, we're artists. And although you could definitely have Art in real estate photography—it's going to be something that you have to be there, and you have to show up, and you have to do it a lot, and be able to do it quickly because time is money.
1: Yeah, and consistently. But uh, you know, when when you start out, uh, here's what to expect: if you're shooting HDR. The good thing about HDR, and that's high dynamic range photography, it's no lights. It's just bracketed. Um, shooting is very quick. It can be easily fifteen to thirty minutes if you have your flow, if you know what you're doing. Uh, your first shoot might take you forty five minutes just to shoot without lights. Your first shoot with lights could take you two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight hours. Yes. Uh, that, but in the time will go down, and a lot of people. Uh, call upon me to coach them because or go to my workshops because that is really going to help i mean it 's tremendous what it helps, but there are a lot of tricks, so you know and and, and you can 't sustain that and i 'm lucky I can spend as long as I want because i just i don 't shoot five hundred houses anymore but i I just get to spend yesterday, I spent two hours shooting a house. I normally take. On uh, fifty minutes to an hour and fifteen minutes, and that is a uh, twenty five 3,500 square foot house and i 'm delivering forty images um, editing is going to take the problem with HDR is to get the colors right, I had to give up HDR because i just couldn 't get get the colors right and it'll be and a lot of people are outsourcing now. Overseas, so outsourcing their editing. So you know you've got to really figure out how long it's going to take, and the editing for HDR could easily take four or five hours to edit. So you're 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 taking longer to shoot with lights, but it's going to be quicker editing. And HDR, it's quicker shooting, but it's and it never looks quite as good in my opinion in HDR. So it's really important to get your times down, and that is something that just takes, as you said, repetitive, uh, over and over and over again. And if you're a better photographer photographer, a better person with lighting I'm very good with lighting so I can do it pretty quick um, but it still could take me a lot of time uh, editing so when you're starting you, you'll take two three hours to shoot a house with lighting and everything you'll go home and it, I, I have some coaching students to say oh I got a great shoot but it took me eight hours to edit and I'm like okay but you know what that's where it begins and you can't look at it like a day like a uh, working at McDonald's going on oh, I might as well be working at McDonald's because I figured it out per hour, I'm making a dollar an hour and I'm having to pay for gear and have to pay for this and that. Well, that time will change. And it's just something you have to look at as, a lifestyle, a career is a future. And I love shooting uh, spaces now. I love shooting houses, uh, buildings, architecture. Um, I, I still love shooting weddings, but there's parts of it I don't like. And I am I love the weddings and I never have a bride. I have rarely, rarely had brisillas and I only second shoot now. So I got no problem doing that. Uh, but the real estate photography is something that I have, get satisfaction from. I get very good money. Um, And, you know, we can talk about business, but it's uh, that's a very tricky part is the business end of this.
2: I think the short version is you really have to know your market because, you know, what's going to be a hundred dollar shoot in one area is, you know, a thousand dollar shoot in another. It all depends on the real estate market and all that. I'm really glad that you brought up the post-production because, again, the stuff that I did, Of course, I spent way too much time working on it. But at the same time, none of that time was wasted because I learned a lot. And so the takeaway that I want to have for our listeners today is this is absolutely something that you can try out and you can try out without any consequence. Do it and see if you have a feel for it. See if you enjoy it. If it clicks for you, and I think this is the case with a lot of other types of photography, if it clicks for you, then you find that enjoyment. And I felt some of that, but not enough to actually like go start my own business doing doing <laughs> real estate photography. Uh, but this is absolutely something that people can do. Try it in your own house.
1: Yeah, as as I think I mentioned, um, everybody has an 8x10 bedroom. Go practice in your bedroom. Try to learn to um, shoot with lights. Try and, uh, do, you know, do compositions. And you don't even have to straighten up your bedroom. You can just uh, <laughs> you can just have it a mess because these are going to – but it's very important to to get the concepts down. And don't expect to just come right in uh, and, and knock it out of the park. But um, this is really something that, uh, you know, I urge people to – uh, you know, self-plug a plug for my YouTube channel, but my YouTube channel has everything you need that you can literally listen to and watch and then go out and practice in your house and make, start getting an idea that, w- well, because when you get an opportunity from an agent, you remember, you only get that one opportunity and you're, you're really best to, do some practicing, get feel pretty good. I mean, I used to go to open houses and I would sneak in with a camera and I'd uh, take uh, pictures from my portfolio Uh, while the house was being shown. uh, You know, you you have uh, people walking through. I'd wait till they walk out of the shot and I'd shoot a shot handheld. Um, So it's definitely possible. Um, But you know what? It's very gear intensive and it's unique gear uh you know it's similar to to um, a lot of other genres of photography, but it's very different also and there's lots of ways of shooting and I shoot composites and if you're not familiar with composites you've got to learn how to do you think compositely and how does this How is this piece of the puzzle going to go with this piece of the puzzle? But, um, you know, my YouTube channel is a great way to go. There's a lot of great resources out there. There's uh, Facebook groups. I have several Facebook groups. Just go into Facebook and do a search in groups for real estate photography and you'll find 20 groups and Ten of them are mine, but uh, I, I, <laughs> I just, I' telling you, dude, I've got so many groups, I don't even know what to do anymore. <laughs> um, but it's something that helped me when I was trying to get my name out there, and it's all parlayed into uh, where I am today, and, and putting, uh, positioning myself to doing education for uh, most of my career. Now that I'm I'm 63, when I retire. I'm going to be doing education. I'm going to be shooting um, resorts around the world. Uh, a lot of bartering. Uh, we're going to go travel and uh, I'll, I'll shoot for a, a week for a hotel and stay there for a couple of weeks. So a lot of opportunities. And there's also Airbnb. You can shoot um, for Airbnb clients. You can shoot for new homeowners. You can shoot um, businesses. You can shoot architectural. You can shoot all kinds of stuff, and uh, so this is and those all those genres are in very similar um, techniques and, and similar gear, and so there 's a, a lot of things you can you can go towards and you can you can make your own. I love what I do; I never feel I work a day in my life. And I am so blessed to have great clients and great listings. I also shoot pigs. I put a lot of (laughs) lipstick on pigs, but those are the houses sometimes that need it the most. So, yeah.
0: Okay. Rich Baum, thank you very much for joining us. This has been really interesting. Um, Links in the show notes to website, Facebook, YouTube, and everything. And Rich, thanks.
1: My pleasure, guys, and I just uh, want to wish you well coming in this uh, very difficult times right now. Um, we're actually back to shooting, and, and uh, what a pleasure. Thank you so much. So, Thanks for
2: the opportunity. Great. Thank you so much. Okay, it's time for our snapshots. What have you got, Jeff? So I'm going to do a follow-up snapshot. This shouldn't be too much of a surprise, really. After our interview with Rick LePage a few weeks ago, when we were talking about printing, uh, I, I went and did it. I bought a printer. I bought the Epson P six hundred, and it's it's a big printer. It's not like the super super duper. Um, I think the the largest size that it will print is I think thirteen by nineteen borderless. Uh, I haven't done anything otherwise
0: like known as A three in normal countries. In normal countries. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it is practical to have that A one, two, three, four system. So A three is twice the size of A four, which is roughly twice the size of letter. Listen, metric man.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I will also admit that I haven't done a lot of printing with it yet because uh, I honestly just haven't had the time to really dig in. And I, I should also point out one of the reasons I got it was because they were basically clearing out their inventory. To make room for the P700 and P900, which is the larger size one. So I was able to get a good deal on it. And actually, I don't even know that they are available now. They probably are. But I don't have a whole lot to report other than I got it. I've made some prints. (laughs) I've jumped in. And definitely go revisit our episode with Rick LePage because it's opening my eyes Again, not a surprise based on what we were talking about, but opening my eyes to the idea of, okay, I'm going to make prints of what I am shooting and look at it in this different way rather than the fleeting Instagram screen, what have you. So, yeah, maybe we'll talk more about Jeff's printing adventures but I, I think I that would be a good idea
0: it. that we come back in a few months when you've had some time to play with it. So for me to get the P700 here is almost 700 pounds. Yeah, they, you never get the, these big rebates on printers here in the UK. Um, that's a lot of money. I am still really tempted. Um, but given the economics of the current situation in the world today, it's, it's really a luxury. It's not going to earn me any money, but I am really tempted. And so I keep it in my shopping cart on Amazon. And if all of a sudden accidentally it drops to like 300 pounds, um, I'll definitely order it. Yeah, definitely. What do you have this week? I have a new book. Um, My favorite photographer, Michael Kenna, has a new book called Buddha. And it is a book of, as you can probably figure out, photographs of Buddhas, Buddha statues around the world. But not just. Um, He explains how he got interested in – Michael Kenna's shot a lot in Japan and Asian countries and he explains how he got interested in in shooting Buddhas Um, and – the book is broken up by country, Japan, China, Cambodia, Afghanistan, uh, etc. Most of them are photos that he shot um, in these different countries. Some of them were photos he shot at the Musée Guimet in Paris, which is a museum of oriental art. Um, interspersed with the Buddha photos are some other wonderful landscape and minimalist photos that are a lot more typical of what uh, Michael Kenna shoots. Um when we talked to Michael Kenna last year, we talked about the fact that he doesn't really shoot people, um, but he did release a book of nudes just about that time last year called Rafu. And when I'm looking at this book, some of them are just, you know, they are photos of statues, but some of them are photos shot like portraits uh, with really – with interesting angles, with – um, there's one that I really like, a, a standing Buddha with a, a certain hand position with a depth of field, um, where the hand is in focus and the rest isn't. Um, the cover photo is a spectacular photo of the big Buddha statue in Kamakura in Japan with the most extraordinary sky. And I'm sure there's a lot of dodging and burning to get the sky the way it is, but it's a really strong photo, um, um. We're going to have Michael on in one or two episodes to talk about this. And I, I kind of – I'm really interested to hear how he approached shooting these photos as – were they shot as portraits. Um, if you like this kind of photography, uh, it's a wonderful book. If you're interested in Buddhist iconography, it's very interesting because it has Buddhist statues from around the world. And as I said, it's got a whole bunch of other landscape and minimalist photos interspersed throughout.
2: It sounds like a really good opportunity to deal with an excitable photo subject. Hard to get him to sit down and stay in
0: one place. <laughs> well, you know what I think is probably more difficult. Is he was shooting a lot of these in temples uh, around the world? Is to get no other people in the frame when you're shooting. Oh yeah, yeah. these yeah. are not. These are not. The statues that are hidden, these are statues that, uh, in fact, on many of the statues, you can see little offerings that people have have put, flowers and other things around them. So there's probably a lot of people going around. I know from having seen photos of the Kamakura Buddha statue um, that there's definitely a lot of people that visit. It's quite a tall statue. I would assume that he found the time late at night or late, late in the day, early in the morning or whatever, um, to make sure there's no people. But there are no people in the photos. There are no live people in any of the photos. Um, in any case, it's called Buddha. It's out in the UK and Europe uh, now, and I don't think it's going to be out until August in the US, but we'll have a link to Amazon, and um, you can put it in your shopping cart and pre-order and all that. Until next time. Thank you so much, everybody. Thanks for listening to Photoactive. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode, at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the M. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash photoactivecast. That's photoactivecast in one word. You can subscribe to Photoactive in your favorite podcast app or on Apple Podcasts. See the links on our website. And think about leaving us a rating or review in iTunes or in your podcast app.